where is the happiest place on earth? I heard it, what? Disney World, right? That's the marketing campaign. That's the reputation that Disney World is the happiest place on earth. Now, some of you were trying to think of a Sunday school answer, and, and you knew it was Disney World, but you wanted to say something else, right? But, but I mean, we know that, that Disney World is known as the happiest place on earth. Well, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that if Jesus is making a difference in our families, our homes will be the happiest place on earth. The happiest place. And isn't that the goal? That our homes become the happiest place on this earth uh, for our spouses, for our kids, that they are places where there is joy and there is relationship and there is togetherness and there is Jesus there in the home. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter. And we've been talking about the difference that Jesus makes. Once you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, once you're united to Him, uh, once you have that relationship with Him, then He begins to make a difference in your life. We've talked about the difference that Jesus makes in relationships. We've talked about the G- difference Jesus makes in purity. We've talked about the difference that Jesus makes in marriage. Uh, last week, we talked about marriage. I had a gentleman tell me uh, after last service, he said, you know, you talked about quality time last week, spending quality time with your spouse. And he said, the Lord knows what he's doing because right after you preached that sermon, an ice storm came in. And like it or not, we had time together, right? But Jesus makes a difference in our marriages. And Jesus desires to make a difference in our families, in our homes. We're going to see this in Colossians chapter 3. So if you're physically able this morning, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word? Now, just kind of curious this morning, is there anyone in here and you think you're in the 8 o'clock service? Just raise your hand if you... Anyone? Any? Okay, just checking. Just checking. All right, time change Sunday gets us. Uh, but anyway, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. Verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And all the kids said, Okay, amen, all right. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we are so grateful, so grateful for the privilege of corporate worship. Lord, that we get to do this. We get to get together and sing praises to your name and bow our hearts before your word and come expectantly knowing that you're going to speak to us Lord, this is an awesome privilege, and we are grateful for it. And Lord, we know this is rehearsal for heaven, because this is a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Your people gathered together, lifting up the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Grateful for the redemption that only comes from Christ. And so Lord, as we we come to this time of looking into your word, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, help us to see the truths of Scripture, and God, give us the strength, give us the wisdom to obey what we learn, to live it out, to, Lord, to to go beyond just being hearers of the Word. Lord, make us 
doers of the word so we can live for your glory. And Lord, to quote the old gospel song as we study this passage, God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and taught. Homes where the master's will is sought. God give us Christian homes. Use the sermon to do that. We'll thank you and praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, parenting is an interesting thing. Uh, to quote the old adage, by the time parents understand what they're doing, they're out of a job. And Claire and I certainly have experienced lately that sense of urgency as our kids are growing up way too fast. Everyone told us they're going to grow up fast, and we are really experiencing that, and we're feeling the urgency of, of investing in our children and, and raising them in the right way and pointing them to Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that when you know Jesus, if you surrender to Him as Lord and if He's having His will and way in your life, He will make a difference in your parenting. He will make a difference in your children. He will make a difference in your home. So I want to talk to you this morning about how to, how to have a happy, holy home. Happy, joyous, holy, Christ-centered. I want to talk to you about how we can have that kind of home. And, and our passage is very simple. Two, two verses, and, and it's not rocket science, very clear passage. But I want us to think about how we live out the commands in these verses. So here we go. Two truths related to a happy, holy home. Number one, a happy, holy home consists of obedient children. Obedient children. Look what Paul writes there in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So children here are called to obey. Now the word there for children does not just mean little children. It can mean any child under the authority of their uh, parents. And we learn from this verse that children are to obey immediately in everything, it says, with a happy heart. With a happy heart. You say, wait, how do you know that children are supposed to obey with a happy heart? Because there's another verse that says we ought to honor our parents. And to obey in, with a begrudging heart is not honoring to your parents. I mean, what if we obeyed God with a begrudging heart? Would that honor Him? Okay, God, I'm here in church today, just like you told me. And I'm here, and I'm going to sing, and I, 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 you know, I listen to the preacher, but I'm not going to like it. Would that honor God? Would that kind of obedience honor the Lord? No. He wants us to obey with a happy heart because we know his, his commandments, and more on this later, His commandments are what's best for us. And so children are to, to, to obey with a happy heart. First time obedience with a happy heart. That's what we are to strive for when we teach our children to follow our instructions. And here's the deal. If you are under your parents' authority, obedience honors your parents and pleases the Lord. Look what it says there in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for why this pleases the Lord. So that's a great reason to obey your parents. When you obey your parents, you are pleasing God. And that is a very, very important reality. Now, I've heard teenagers say this before. I've heard teenagers say, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to obey, but I can't wait till I'm 18 I get out of the home. You ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand if you heard somebody say that. How many of you have said that when you were a teenager? 
I, I can't. When I turn 18, I'm going to get out of my home. And, I'm, you know, listen, listen to me, listen to me. When you turn 18 or when you leave your parents' home, your responsi- responsibility to your parents doesn't end. It just shifts from obedience to honor. Ephesians, Paul, when talking about obedience, says that we are to honor our father and mother. He quotes the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. And so even if you're not living under your parents' authority, even they're not providing for your needs, and you're out on your own doing whatever you're doing, you're still called to honor your parents by the way you treat them, by the way you respond to them, by the reputation that you are carrying with the name they've given you. You are called to honor your parents as long as they are on this earth and even beyond that. And so we should have this desire to obey, have this desire to honor, because it's what God wants from us our lives and so if you are uh, under your parents authority and i would add this under your parents provision if you're 25 and your parents are paying the bill you need to obey your parents if you're living in their home obey them if they tell you to get home at 10 o'clock at night if they're paying the bills get home at 10 so that's not really fair i'm grown up well then provide for your own needs that's a different sermon but We're, we're, the reason I say that is because we're raising a generation of video game playing, unresponsible young people. And that's not going to change the world. That's another sermon. So happy, holy home consists of obedient children. As long as you're under your parents' authority, under your parents' provision, you are called to obey. And when you're no longer under their authority or provision, you're out on your own, you're called to honor them. That pleases God. That honors the Lord. That's what God calls you to do. But there's a second thing here. We see the responsibility of the parents. A happy, holy home consists of encouraging parents. Not just obedient children, but encouraging parents. Verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here in verse 21, fathers are commanded to avoid provoking their children. That word provoking is an interesting word. The word provoke means to exasperate. It means to stir up to anger and bitterness. It was used to mean treating someone in such a way that they draw a line of opposition. In other words, you you treat someone to such a degree that they get angry and bitter to the point where they begin to rebel against your authority. That's the way this word is used. So, So fathers here are called to not provoke, exasperate their children to a place of rebellion. Not, they're called to, to not provoke their children to a place of bitterness and anger and resentment and discouragement. Fathers are commanded to avoid this. It's a command from God. Now, of course, this command to not provoke your children applies to moms and dads. Because look what it says there in verse 20. Children, obey your parents. So, of course, mom and dad both have a role in raising the children, both have a role in giving instructions and boundaries and communicating guidelines, and, and, and calling for obedience. Mom and dad both have a crucial, critical role in that. But in verse 21, fathers are singled out as the ones who are not supposed to exasperate. Now, why are fathers singled out here? Well, I think there are at least two reasons. Number one, I believe fathers are singled out because of the absolute legal power of a father. In the Roman Empire in the first century, there was a law entitled Patria Potestis, which means the power of the father. 
This meant that the father could do anything he wanted with his children. He had unquestioned authority to treat his children however he wanted to. He could sell them. He could turn them into slaves. He could even take their lives if he deemed it necessary or deemed it fit. And he could do anything he wanted with his children. No one would say a word. The father in the first century in the Roman Empire had, had incredible power over his children. And so imagine how shocking it would have been to the first century ear to hear this verse read. Remember, this was Paul's letter to a group of Christians in the first century city of Colossae. And the letter arrived, and the leader of the church got everyone together and said, Today we have a letter from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read it to you. He began to read that letter. And when he got to what we call verse 21, it probably sounded shocking to the dads in the, in the congregation. Fathers, you have absolute power as the dad in the Roman Empire, but don't provoke your children to anger. Don't use your power. Don't use your unquestioned authority to, to destroy your kids. To lay a heavy burden of bitterness on your children. This would have been striking to the first century ear. So I believe that's one reason that fathers are singled out, because of their absolute legal authority. But there's another reason. I think it's the, the nature of father-child relationships. R. Kent Hughes writes this. This would be more typically provoking children to anger. This would be more typically a father's sin. The husband is naturally away from the children more than the mother and is thus less in touch with their feelings and more prone to false judgments and unwise direction. So fathers are prone to get home at the end of a long day and they're tired and they're worn out and they're stressed and they're ornery and they see something they don't like and instead of knowing the whole story or what's going on in the child's life or what happened earlier, they just come down with authority and power and discipline and punishment and, and they're ruling the home with their anger. And they're just not as in touch with their kids as mom likely is. And so fathers need to be reminded, listen, you have this authority, but you can use that authority to harm. You can use that authority, authority to really uh, cause your children to be exasperated, to become bitter and, and discouraged. And so both parents have this, this responsibility to not provoke children to anger, but the father singled out here. And, and here's why this is so important. Exasperation always leads to discouragement. Always. That's the reason given in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become, what's the word there? Discouraged. Some translations say, lest they lose heart. This word, discouragement, carries with it the idea of, of becoming disheartened. I, I want to share with you something about disheartened children. Disheartened children are not going to live in joy and change the world. They're not going to have joy and they're not going to change the world. And, and isn't that what God wants from our children? He wants our children to change the world. So wait, how do you know that? Because over in Psalms uh, 127, children are compared to arrows in the hands of a warrior. And a good warrior is not going to leave the arrows in his quiver, right? A good warrior is going to take the arrow and shoot it to defeat the enemy. And our children are compared to arrows, we have this family ministry initiative that we're calling The Path, where we come along beside you as families, and, and the tagline is this, 
You were called to raise, disciple, what's the third word? Launch your children. Raise, disciple, and launch your children out into the world to make a difference for the glory of God. That's what God has called you to as parents. And we want to come along beside you as your church family and encourage you in that and equip you in that. But you're called to raise, you're called to disciple them and teach them to follow the, the Lord, and you're called to launch them out into the world. But if your child is disheartened, they're bitter and discouraged and exasperated, they're going to have a hard time making an impact in the world. They're going to spend a lot of their adult life unpacking their dysfunction. And so we're called not to exasperate our kids, not to discourage our kids. Now, how do you do that practically? What are some what are some thoughts as to how you avoid discouraging your children? Let me give you three thoughts. Three thoughts about how you avoid this, this sin that I hope will encourage you and help you this morning. Number one, I call instruction with example. Instruction with example. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So that's the clear command, do not provoke. But what's the, the flip side of that? That's the negative command, do not. What's the, what's the positive? What should we focus on if we're not going to discourage our kids? Well, we see that in Ephesians chapter 6. So turn with me. Ephesians chapter 6. A couple books before Colossians. Verse 4. The Bible says, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, same idea, but, here's the flip side, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents are to train their children by providing a biblical foundation, a biblical foundation. That's what that, that verse speaks of, discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline, there, discipline is the word paideia, which means training. It's the same word that was used in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, God's word is profitable for training in righteousness. So we're supposed to train our kids in the ways of God, in the ways of his word. So here's what that means. It means that we are to make sure we are providing the environment, the direction, and the correction to make sure that our children are going in a positive direction. The next word that he uses there is the word instruction, nuthasia. This is any word of encouragement or reproof that leads to correct behavior. So you're speaking the right things in your children's lives or in, in your grandchildren's lives. You're speaking truth into their life. You're speaking encouragement. You're speaking God's word and direction into their life. Now these two words, discipline and instruction, imply two types of teaching. The first type of teaching this implies is spontaneous teaching. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible speaks of teaching our children the Word of God. And it says, as we are going about our way, as we're walking, as we're living life, we need to learn to, to teach the Word of God in a spontaneous way. Now, we're going to talk about structured teaching in a moment, but you need to understand that most of our life is lived in spontaneity. I mean, even if you spend an hour sitting your kids down and walking them through the Bible every day, there's still 23 hours of spontaneity out there, right? Of life. I mean, life happens. 
pickup, drop-off, ball practice, band practice, dance practice, you know, get a meal, fix dinner, bedtime, all, you know, all of that. It, it, it can be crazy, and I understand that. But most of life is spontaneous. So we've got to learn to talk to our kids about the Lord as we just go through life. If you see an ambulance on the side of the road and, and there's a wreck, it's a chance to pray about, you know, pray about a hurting family. Pray that some, for someone that's in crisis, someone that, that you know, may be experiencing you know, severe medical injuries. You pray for them and, and, and thank God for the safety He's given your family. It's, it's a teachable moment. And we, we begin to look for those teachable moments in life. So that, we can, so that we can teach our children the truth of the Word of God. Now, I'll just admit, my wife is great at this. She's much better at spontaneous teaching than I am. She's very good at just out and about in different situations that arise, just applying God's Word to those situations. She is wonderful at that. We all need to focus on talking about the Lord in the normal routine of life because God's Word applies to all of life. Amen? But if we never talk about it, then how are kids going to know that? Spontaneous. But not only does our teaching need to be spontaneous, Deuteronomy indicates it needs to be structured. There needs to be structured teaching. Deuteronomy 6, 8, 9 speaks of, of in the home, while you're sitting down. This systematic instruction in God's truth. Now, when it comes to this, I want to encourage you as parents to not be intimidated by teaching the Word of God in your home. Because there are more resources for family worship than we've ever had in the history of Christianity. There are, there are storybook Bibles that are very good and very, very uh, accurate. You can go to Google and type in family worship resources, and you will not believe the, the amount of things that come up that, are, that you can print out for free and use in your family worship time where you're just systematically teaching the Word of God. And it's, it's just, it doesn't have to be complicated. You can just get out your Bible and just read a little bit every time you get together for family worship. But there, I think there needs to be weekly in our homes some set-aside time to systematically teach the Word of God. We have uh, what we call family church. And, and here's what I've discovered recently. This is working well for us right now. And you've got to think about your stage of life and where you are. But we used to do family church uh, after dinner, we would we would eat dinner and we'd you know clean up the table and you know do bath time and all that. Then we'd get together and we'd have family church. We'd read some scripture, discuss it a little bit, sing a song together, and have a time of prayer. And I'm, I'm not talking about an hour and a half, okay? I'm talking about ten minutes, uh, fifteen minutes on a good day. We're you know got kids you know ten, seven, three, and so it, it could be kind of crazy. But we would we have this this systematic time. Well, I've recently discovered that it works a lot better for my family just to do it at the dinner table. We love family dinner. We get together and we eat and talk about our day and just enjoy that time face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball time. I, instantly, I grew up in a home. We didn't eat di- dinner together. We would grab our meal and sit in front of the TV or eat on the go, and we did not have that time around the table. And I've just come to learn how important that is. I, I just cherish that time around the table with my family. Now, I've learned that before everybody gets uh, going their separate directions and you know finish up homework and all that kind of stuff has to happen, uh, I've learned that just before everybody leaves, just I pull out the Bible right there at the table. We've all eaten, and, and I pull out the Bible, and I'll, I'll read a little bit or, or, and make some comments about something I've read and ask some questions for comprehension, and we'll talk about God's Word, and then we'll sing a song right there at the dining room table, and we'll pray a prayer together, and then work through. And it, it just works really well for us right now. I had a, a family tell me after the first service that they used to have nighttime family worship 
until their kids got to be teenagers. And then the, everyone had their different events and extracurricular activities, and it was hard to get everybody back together at the same time regularly. And so they moved their family worship to the early in the morning, first thing before everyone left the house. So you've you got to think about your family, your lifestyle, what works best for you. But we need to be uh, intentional about having structured time in God's Word so that your kids know that Jesus is so great that he deserves worship more than once on a Sunday morning. Right? He's so so worthy of glory, he deserves to be talked about in the home as well. And so look for those systematic opportunities to teach God's Word. So, what are we called to do? We're called to train our children by providing a biblical foundation. But here's the second part. Remember we said instruction with example. Parents are to show their children how to follow Jesus. Teaching in and of itself is not enough. God calls us to model it for our kids. Which I believe is one of the, one of the purposes of the home. Right? It's a laboratory. And if your kids are going to learn to follow Jesus, they need to hear the truths of the Word of God taught, they also need to see it lived out. And so you can tell your kids all day long, it's important to read the Bible, but if they never see you read the Bible, it's not going to be that big of a deal to them, right? Or if you tell them you need to pray, but they never hear mom or dad pray, it's hard for them to to apply what it means to be a person of prayer. Parents are called to instruction with example. And and here's what I've learned uh, about parenting. I've learned that my kids are watching me. You know one of the reasons I know that? I know that because when I hear my kids pray, they pray just like Dad does. And so if I find myself slipping into rote memory type prayer, you know what I mean? Saying the same thing every time, repeating yourself, you're not even engaged with God, you're just saying some words, you know, and and, and you're just saying the same old thing over and over again. If I find myself praying with rote memory, guess what I start hearing in my kids' lives? Rote memory type prayer, saying the same thing over and over again. They're learning it from Dad. So I've got to be, I've got to be conscious that that as I teach my children the truths of the Word of God, I'm also living it out. And, and I have victories, and I have failures. We all do. There's no perfect parents here. We're all works in progress, and we're all, we're, we're all trying to, to, to grow in those areas. But the, the idea here is that we need to provide for our children an example. We need to show them how to follow Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal, if you're not living it out. Do as I say, but not as I do, disillusions children. When you tell your children they ought to do something, but you're not doing it, it breeds disillusionment in children's lives. They may not say it out loud, but kids are smart. And if they see this disconnect between what you're telling them they ought to do and the way you're living your life, They'll not take it seriously because you're not taking it seriously. And so the quickest way, I believe, to exasperate, discourage your kids, cause them to lose heart is to say, do as I do, or do as I say, but not do as I do. This disillusions 
children. So teach it and live it by the grace of God. When you blow it, tell your kids you blew it. Repent and get right with God and show them that. But show them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. One of my favorite songs is an older song by Steve Green called Find Us Faithful. And the, the course of that song says, May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. May all who come behind us find us faithful. When God gets a hold of my children's hearts, and they have this passion and this desire to follow Jesus and make a difference with their lives, I don't want them to wonder how to do it. My desire is that by God's grace, my footprints would light their way. And they would see how to follow Jesus by looking at my life and, and, and my wife's life. Again, we're works in progress. We've got, we got a long way to go, and we want to grow in this area, but, but that's what will lead us to a place where we're encouraging our kids, not discouraging them. Instruction with example. There's another thing here I think that will help us to avoid discouraging our children. Rules with relationship. Rules with relationship. Our parenting should be modeled on the fatherhood of God. In other words, you say, wait, what kind of parent should I be? Well, just, just model yourself after the way God is. He's our father, right? And he's perfect. So if you're imitating him, you're going to be in good shape. Ephesians 5.1 says we ought to be imitators of God. 1 Peter 1.16, the Lord says, be holy for I'm holy. We ought to strive to live holy lives because our father is holy. Over in Luke chapter 6.36, we're, we're encouraged to be merciful like our Father is. And over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. So if the Father has lavished and poured out His love on us, His agape, unconditional, never-changing, never-failing love, then we ought to pour out love on our kids, mimicking, imitating the fatherhood of God, right? He is the pattern for parents. And think about the way God relates to us when it comes to the area of rules or commandments. God gives us commandments that are for our ultimate good. You know, a lot of people have a conception of God that He is, you know, just up there in heaven trying to take away people's fun. He's just trying to think of ways to make us miserable. And folks say, well, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to have to stop doing all these things and start doing all these things, and it's going to be miserable and boring and dry and lifeless when they don't understand the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is not a God of just arbitrary rules. He's a God of relationship. And His rules, listen, flow from that relationship. As a matter of fact, you cannot disconnect His commandments from His care. His commandments are given to us because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Over in 
1 John chapter 5, verse 3, the Bible says that, listen, God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not meant to steal our joy or to keep us uh, in bondage. They are meant to set us free to experience life as we follow Jesus and live in the loving boundaries he has given us to live in. That's how God does rules. That's how God does commandments. He gives them in the context of relationship. So if we want to be like God, we need to give our children rules and boundaries for their good. But those need to flow from the depth of relationship we have with them. They need to understand that we care greatly for them. Here's what I believe, and I I think time bears this out. Rules without relationship equals discouragement and ultimately rebellion. Because you're telling me what to do, but you don't really care about me, and so you wait till I'm no longer under your thumb. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what rules without relationship leads to. And relationship without rules leads to destruction. This idea, I'm going to be my parents' best, I'm going to be my kids' best friend. I'm their buddy, I'm their pal. And I want them to like me a whole lot, and I want their friends to like me a whole lot. And so I'm going to be their friend, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to take away their fun, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be their buddy. So you, you want to have the relationship, but, but really no rules, and that leads to destruction because if your kids don't have boundaries, they will, they will go down the wrong road and experience the consequences of that. So we don't want relationship without rules, and we don't want rules without relationship. We want rules, loving, gracious, wise boundaries and expectations in the context of a wonderful, happy, joyful relationship with our children. That's what we're shooting for, right? And again, we have good days and bad days, good weeks and bad weeks, but that's what we're striving for, rules with relationship. And so, yes, be clear about rules. Be clear about boundaries. But, but work on that relationship. Hang out together. Here, here's just one quick observation. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to offend or anything. I'm just, this is an observation I see in our culture. And, 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 and we see the, the temptation in our own family. Did you know it's possible to get so busy as a family you're not spending time together? you know that? Everybody's doing their thing. You're dropping off here, picking up here, and they're doing this, and, th- and they're involved in their activities. And, and, and I'm all for extracurricular activities. I'm all, I'm all for that. Listen, it's good, well-rounded. I'm all for that. But it's possible to get so busy, you're not really spending time together. And you're just like ships passing in the night, right? I think God's calling us to relationship with our kids, just like he has a relationship with us. God wants to spend time with us. Aren't you glad of that? When Jesus died on the cross, listen, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God did it signifying now that my son died for your sins. Now that his blood has been shed, you can come to me and spend time with me as your father. And if we're going to model our parenting after the fatherhood of God, we ought to desire that time with our kids. Just hang out time. 
practice playing Uno together. It's our favorite card game, Uno, all right? But just spending time together as a family is so critical. And so rules with, with relationship will lead to happy, holy families. But let me give you a third thing here. Third thing is punishment that fits the crime. Verse 21 of Colossians says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, do not bring your children to bitterness. I believe that one of the ways that fathers and mothers can cause bitterness in their child's life is to be heavy-handed in their discipline and punishment in a way that does not fit the crime. So what do you mean by punishment that fits the crime? Well, if your child spills their milk, it's probably not time for military school. Right? You say, well, that's a silly example, but that, that's the point I'm making. You want to make sure that, that your punishment, your response to their behavior is fitting and is not just fitting in terms of discipline, but fitting and training them to go in the right direction. And this is a challenge. And, and the Bible's very, very clear. If you read Proverbs, the Bible's very clear. We are called to discipline our children when they, when they violate the boundaries we set for them because they need to know they violated the boundaries, they're in an area of danger, and they need to get their, we need to get their attention so they get back on the right path. It's what discipline's all about, getting their attention to warn them, to keep them in the safe boundaries you've established for them. But we need to, we need to practice punishment that fits the crime. Harsh, unfitting punishment leads to resentment. When fathers are unjust or overly severe, a spirit of sullen resignation is created in the hearts of their offspring. The children lose heart thinking, no matter what I do, it's always wrong. There's a difference, listen to me, there's a difference between obedience to mom and dad and walking on eggshells. There's a difference. And I don't think we want our kids walking on eggshells all the time. Because that leads to bitterness and discouragement and a weighed down spirit. Harsh, unfitting punishment leads to resentment. Listen, children find comfort in reasonable boundaries. Reasonable boundaries. They, they, they may not say they do, but they want boundaries. They want to know they're there. They're comforted by knowing those boundaries are there. Children find comfort when you correct them out of love and concern. When they know their correction is for their ultimate good, they respond to that. But if you are correcting out of just unceasing anger and frustration... To make yourself feel better and not for their good, they sense that and it's harsh and it's unfitting and it leads to their discouragement. And it's interesting that I'm preaching this this week because I blew it last week. I don't tell you the story because I've, I've always said I'm not going to tell, you know, stories about my kids from the pulpit that are, that, you know, that reflect on them, you know, in a certain way. But I'll just say this. I got angry last week. And, and, uh, and I, I dealt with it. I you know, dealt with the punishment. I, I dealt with it. And, but after I dealt with it, I just kept on being angry. You ever been there? Parents, you ever been there? It's kinda, I just kind of smoldering, and I was, and I, it, it, you know what it did? It ruined my day. And, and I was angry, and it affected the atmosphere of the home. And uh, Claire got home, and she said, what's going on? Because I was angry, and that, you know, it was, just, it, it was just out of sorts. 
And then I had to go to my study and study for the sermon this week. And guess what it was? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Punish them and then move on. Move on. Don't let your attitude, you know, weigh down the spirit of the home. And again, I'm, I'm learning as I go. You're learning as you go. We've had good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. But this is what we're shooting for, right? Punishment that fits the crime. Punishment that really helps them. To understand that they're out of line, they're in a danger zone, and, and punishment that helps them to go in the right direction. It trains them in the right direction. Children, find comfort when you co- correct them out of love and concern. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, and uh, I, my parents got me a car, and I had a curfew, and my curfew was, was earlier than some other kids' curfew. And I can tell you right now, with, with all of the, the genuineness I can muster, I am so grateful today for that curfew. So grateful. Dad told me one time, my curfew is earlier than midnight, but he told me one time, he said, wait, nothing good happens after midnight. No need for you to be riding around at, you know, late night hours. Nothing good happens. Nothing good's going to come of that. And he gave me a, good, a curfew, and, and he, was, he was serious about the curfew. One night I had the curfew, and, and uh, it, was the, it was the homecoming dance. And Claire and I went to the homecoming dance and had a great time, all that. Well, I, I left a little later than I intended to, and so I had just about, I had about five minutes to make a 15-minute drive. And I had a little Toyota Corolla SR5, two-door, and, uh, and I, I had that thing maxed out. I was going about 80 miles an hour. It was shaking, you know. And I was trying to make curfew, and of course now, you know, Dad would have said, don't, you know, don't put your life in danger. You need to call me and whatever. But anyway, and... Uh, but I was being just irresponsible and, and, and uh, unwise. I was going down the road, and I was on this little two-lane highway, Highway 221, and there was a pair of headlights coming towards me, and it never occurred to me that the only other car on the road could have been, maybe, perhaps, a state trooper. And so as soon as I passed, I saw the license tag. It said FHP, Florida Highway Patrol, and blue lights came on. And he wheeled around, and, and I pulled into the little road that went off the main road. He came wheeling in behind me, and and uh, he got me out of the car, and, and uh, we were talking. And I said, sir, I, I was speeding. I know I'm trying to make curfew, and I, I apologize. And would you, would, you know, I, I don't speed usually. Would you just not give me a ticket? And he just kept running, you know. And uh, I said, listen, I, I, I usually don't speed. I just, I, you know, I, I just, uh, you know I'll, I'll do better. I've learned my lesson. You know, I, and he kept on. He finally he stopped right, and he said, he said, where do you live? And I said, well, right down this road, about a mile and a half. And he said, he said is your dad home? And I said, yes, sir. So he said, let's go talk to your dad. So he got in his car, I got my car, and he followed me to my home. That was a long drive. And it was about 10 minutes after curfew. And I'll never forget it because my aunt and uncle were in town visiting. And so mom and dad, my aunt and uncle were up talking, you know. And I walked in the house and I said the words that that you never want to say to your parents when you walk in the home late. Dad, there's a highway patrolman outside that wants to talk to you. So he, he came out and talked to the Hypetrolman, and uh, they talked a little bit. And, and needless to say, I learned my lesson, all right? I learned my lesson. But I look back on that now, and it's funny, but I'm so grateful that my dad cared. I really am. That he cared enough to give me some boundaries that were for my ultimate good. And even though, even though I might want to stay out a little bit later, I, I knew, I knew that boundary was for my good. I knew it. 
And so we want to make sure that, that our boundaries are clear and that our punishment fits the crime. Dad didn't have to go on and on. I learned my lesson. He dealt with it, and, and, and I experienced some consequences. But, but I, it, was, it was punishment to fit the crime, and I did better. I love this quote from John Piper. It really captured my heart. Let me read it, and we'll be through. When discipline is controlled and appropriate and consistent and based on clear rules and principles of justice in the home, an atmosphere is created when, where children flourish in freedom. They know the limits and they feel secure and free to dream and play and plan and work inside those limits of righteousness. They gain confidence. Listen, they gain confidence that this is the way God is. He's not a capricious God. He's not impulsive or erratic or inconsistent. There is order. There's justice tempered with mercy. There's hope and encouragement. Why? I might even be able to accomplish something of value or even greatness if I fit into this order and depend on the goodness of the Father who loves me like this. Hear what he's saying there? John Piper's saying that our children learn what God is like by the way we parent them. And if we teach and give them an example, and we give them rules accompanied with relationship, and we, and we mete out punishment that fits the crime, we are painting for them a picture of the fatherhood of God and showing them that God can be trusted and God's commands are good. And if you follow Him in those boundaries, you won't experience limitation, you won't experience bondage, you will experience freedom. That's what God calls us to. Happy, holy, healthy, not perfect, but happy, holy, healthy homes. So that our homes are above the list when it comes to the happiest place on the face of the earth. They even beat out Disney World.